Then. Why, do you mind doing the land, uh, land acknowledgement? And Rick, do you mind doing the Pledge of Allegiance? Very good. Let me know when we're ready, Mindy. I'm ready when you are. Okay, we're going to call this. Uh, we're going to call this meeting of the of the uh, budget and audit committee of the city council of Sacramento to order at eleven o two a.m. Uh, Madam Clerk, if you could please call the roll to establish quorum. Thank you, Councilmember Vang. Here. Councilmember Jennings. Here. Vice Chair Geta. Here. And Mayor Steinberg will be absent today. Great. Thank you very much. Um, Councilmember Vang, can you join us? Uh, can you lead us in the land acknowledgement? And then Councilmember Jennings, if you could lead us in the pledge of allegiance. On people, the Southern Maidu Valley and Plains Miwok, Pat Winnowinchu peoples, and the people of Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the Native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous peoples, history, contribution, and lives. Thank you. The Pledge of Allegiance, would you please salute? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank, thank you very much. Um, move on to our first items. Madam Clerk. Your first item is the consent calendar. Okay. Um, let me bring this over to... Uh, well, Madam Clerk, do we have any members signed up to speak on the consent calendar? I have no members in chambers or online to sign to speak on the consent calendar. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Madam Clerk. Let me bring it back to the committee. Committee members, do we have any comments, questions, or an action on this item? The, uh, budget and audit committee minutes appear to be in order, as does the city auditor's activity report for the first quarter. Um, I would like to move the item. Move. I'll second. Just properly seconded. Madam, uh, any further discussion? Seeing none, Madam Clerk. All those in favor, say, signify by saying aye. 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 Okay. Uh, all those opposed? Seeing none, measure passes with uh, 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 Mayor Steinberg absent. Madam Clerk, next item on the agenda. The first item on your discussion calendar is item three, audit of the Cannabis Code Enforcement Unit. Good morning. Good morning, members of the Budget and Audit Committee. Nathan Lugo, Cannabis Compliance Auditor. The recommendation before you is that you pass a motion accepting the City Auditor's report on the continuous cannabis review of the Cannabis Code Enforcement Unit and also forwarding the report to City Council for approval. As a little background, this project is made possible as a result of council action that established the Cannabis Compliance Auditor in 2020, which performs continuous monitoring and auditing of the city's cannabis operations. This audit is part, excuse me, part of the council approved fiscal year 22-23 cannabis work plan 
The objectives of this review were to assess the adequacy of cannabis code enforcement activities, including inspections, reports, data integrity, and follow-up. The Cannabis Code Enforcement Unit, or CCEU, is part of the Neighborhood Code and Business Compliance Program and is funded by the Office of Cannabis Management. The CCEU was established to assist the Office of Cannabis Management with the enforcement of regulations adopted by the City of Sacramento for commercial cannabis. The CCEU is managed by a senior code enforcement officer and supported by two code enforcement officers. The CCEU conducts a variety of activities that it uses to enforce compliance with cannabis business regulations in the City of Sacramento, including walkthrough inspections of cannabis businesses as part of the initial permitting process, and periodic inspections at regular interval intervals for all types of cannabis businesses. When a business is found to be non-compliant, the CCEU has the discretion to issue notice of violations and penalties to encourage compliance. CCEU conducts follow-up inspections to verify whether a business has achieved compliance following issuance of a notice of violation or penalty. The bulk of inspection activities conducted by the CCEU are periodic inspections, as indicated by the blue bars on the chart. Periodic inspections are typically conducted on a 30 or 60 day interval. There were four findings in the audit report. In finding number one, we noted that two cannabis businesses were operating without regularly being inspected. And 6% of cannabis business inspections we reviewed were not conducted in accordance with the established inspection schedule. We inquired with CCEU management to understand why the two businesses were not being inspected and learned that the businesses had received an initial inspection as part of the permitting process, but a business file had not been created in CitizenServe. CitizenServe is the information system used by code enforcement. File creation is a key step in the inspection process because it drives the inspection schedule. When we brought this to the attention of management, they immediately conducted these inspections and no violations were noted. We made three recommendations for this finding. We recommend that the CCEU strengthen its controls over file creation in CitizenServe to ensure that all permitted businesses are being inspected on a regular basis. Revise the inspection schedule to include cannabis manufacturing businesses and develop and implement a control procedure designed to identify untimely periodic inspections. As a side note for recommendation two, the CCEU had been conducting inspections of manufacturing businesses, but their inspection schedule needed to be updated to reflect this. In finding number two, we noted that inspections are conducted without utilizing a checklist during the inspection and inventory inspection procedures are informal and not documented. We found that the CCEU had recently switched to use of electronic checklists, but they were not being completed as part of the actual inspection. CCEU is in the process of acquiring electronic tab tablets that they can bring with them during the inspections to address this matter. We made two recommendations for this finding. We recommend that the CCEU use a checklist or similar tool while conducting inspections to ensure all applic applicable cannabis business regulations are reviewed. We also recommend that the CCEU standardize and document its procedures for conducting inventory inspections, including how products are selected, what is reviewed, and how results are documented. 
In finding number three, we noted that documents and photographs were not always uploaded to CitizenServe following inspection observations in accordance with policies and procedures. Also, evidence of business compliance for issued violations and administrative penalties is inconsistent. And enforcement activities are not documented as completed in CitizenServe. We made three recommendations for the finding. We recommend that the CCEU develop policies and procedures that provide standard guidance for complete and accurate documentation of cannabis business compliance files. We also recommend that the CCEU develop policies and procedures for following up on enforcement actions and establish a minimum standard for documenting enforcement actions and the evidence of compliance following a violation. Finally, we recommend that the CCEU develop standards for data quality when inputting code enforcement data into CitizenServe. In the final finding, finding number four, we noted that the Cannabis Code Enforcement Unit was not, has not established performance metrics. Supervisory review of inspection work is informal and not documented, and safety assets are not tracked or periodically reconciled. We made three recommendations for the finding. We recommend that the CCEU establish performance metrics to evaluate the effectiveness of the Cannabis Code Enforcement Program. We also recommend that the CCEU formalize supervisory review procedures in departmental policies and procedures and document the results of supervisory reviews to determine their effectiveness. Finally, we recommend that management implement a formal method for tracking equipment and safety gear to ensure that it complies with applicable safety standards. The Cannabis Code Enforcement Unit has provided a response to the audit report and is currently working toward implementing the recommendations. We would like to thank the Cannabis Code Enforcement Unit for their time and cooperation during the audit. This concludes the presentation and I'm available to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for that presentation. Madam Clerk, do we have members of the public signed up to speak on items on this or for this item? Yes, Vice Chair, I have one member, um, phone number 4366. Oh yes, this is uh, Lambert and I'm, I'm studying this this audit report, and then I'm comparing it to CORE. Now, I'm not a, any way affiliated with cannabis, but I've been studying how they are being subjected to a lot of different barriers and checklists, and then you listen to this report, I listen to it, and it looks like no one was monitoring wh whoever these other two companies are. I mean, I think people should be terminated for that because you're you're going out of your way to make sure CORE can't get in, but here's two companies, and I think they should be identified because they're allowed to just run roughshod, and that's a double standard. So I'm, I'm glad that I heard that report, and uh, I hope CORE is listening to that because you need to lower those barriers on CORE and let them get in this business. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Vice Chair, I have no more speakers. Thank you very much, uh, Madam Clerk. Uh, let me bring this over to the council. And uh, while my colleagues, uh, if they have an action or comment or, or a request, I want to first thank the auditor for their work. I also want to thank our um, Cannabis Enforcement Division as well. I think the evolution of where our city is now is uh, significant. It goes to show the extreme low percentage uh, as identified in the staff report. And also, 
that while there were two uh, entities that weren't reviewed, that when there was a review and inspection that it came back with no violations. Is that correct? That is correct. So that, that goes to show that we are doing a, a very good process on the city side on uh, uh, you know, educating our, our businesses on what the standard of operation is here. I did have one question for staff, and that is, in the development of this checklist, uh, we used to have, uh, in person, I don't know, and I'm sure we've continued it virtually, but um, the stakeholder groups, do we uh, go through with the operators the, the, ch the, the development of that checklist? Madam Assistant City Manager? So that everyone knows what uh, you know, what's coming down the pipe, and they can be ready to uh, to to go through an inspection. Uh, good afternoon, Assistant City Manager Lainey Milstein. I'd like to ask either Peter Lemos or Davina Smith to reply to how the checklists are developed. Um, I also want to share that in response to the two that were missed, it used to be a manual scheduling process, mm -hmm. and code enforcement is working with IT to make it automated so that this doesn't happen again. But if either Peter or Davina would like to share how the checklists are developed, that would be great. Sure, I can respond. Uh, it's Peter Lemos, uh, City of Sacramento, Code and Housing Enforcement Chief. The checklists are um, a completed product that the um, establishments get to follow. We were um, providing it to them first and then we just kind of walked through. So now what we have changed is uh, we have implemented the program where the checklists are in place and the um, officer on site is following the same exact checklist on a tablet um, live. So that, that uh, process has been updated, uh, equipment is in place and it has been changed. Great, thank you Mr. Lemus, appreciate that. Again, it goes to show that our, uh, our city's uh, you know, partnership to making sure that we have a high standard here in the operation. With that, uh, let me bring this back to Council, Council, Council Member Jennings. Uh, thank you very much. I just have a, a quick question as it relates to finding number one, where the two businesses, um, it says, were not um, being regularly in inspected. And for myself and for the public, and you may have said this earlier, and if you do, I apologize. But uh, for the purposes of myself and the public, can you define regularly what that means and how often that should be? <clears throat> Sure, thank you for the question. Uh, typically, the periodic inspections are conducted at uh, 30 or 60 day intervals. So for these particular businesses, there would be a 60 day interval for periodic inspections. And these inspections, the periodic inspections were not occurring for these two businesses. They had received an initial inspection as part of their permitting process, so they had um, satisfied all requirements, but they hadn't had any follow-up inspections to determine whether they were maintaining those requirements. So when you use the term regularly, you're remaining every 60 days, there should be some form of an inspection. Correct. And how many different inspections should a business go through in the course of, of 12 months? So for these particular businesses, it would be six. But I mean, are they different types or just the same type? Uh, same type of inspection, uh, just a recurring. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. And I, uh, as Assistant City Manager Milstein indicated that they are, the, the city staff is going through an automated process to make sure that we don't have a, uh, a gap in, in that. So uh, I'll ask for an action from the committee. So well, I think the, the request is to take the report to council. Accept the uh, uh, motion to accept the city auditor's report moved to council. And I will move that motion. I'll second. Thank you very much. It's been properly moved and seconded. Seeing no further discussion, all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 All those opposed, say nay. Measure passes. Uh, Madam Clerk, if you uh, can move on to the next item.
Thank you. Thank you. Item number four is Sacramento to Utility Rate Assistance Program recommendation. Is the reserve fund? Um, okay. <clears throat> Good morning, Vice Chair Guerra and morning, uh, committee Chief. members. Um, I'm Bill Busaith, uh, Director of the Department of Utilities, and here to uh, talk about uh, recommendations for um, some structural changes to our utilities rate assistance program. <clears throat> we're going to spend a few minutes going over the background and then we're going to go over the, the options that we're proposing with a recommendation and then talk a little bit about next steps. Uh, just a reminder that what we're asking for is a motion from uh, this committee to forward this to council with either staff's recommendation or another recommendation or no recommendation <laughs> except that it go to council. So um, SURA program is the rate assistance program that has been in place since about 2013, 2012, 2013. Uh, for city residents, they received a discount on their utilities bills. Uh, they, uh, it's for residents who are income eligible and meet the program requirements. This program is, <clears throat> is funded uh, at the direction of City Council from Measure U. The current approved budget is $4.8 million. The, uh, we came several months ago to budget and audit and were uh, instructed to come back with some recommendations that kept the benefit, that didn't reduce the benefit, uh, but that is sustainable. And we feel like we have some options that, uh, that meet that direction. Just a reminder that we have two, we have two kinds of or two classes of, of uh, participants in the, uh, in the SURA program. One we call legacy uh, participants, which have been in the program since its inception back in 2012-2013, and uh, others who have come and joined the uh, program and become participants after that. Currently, the benefit for the legacy uh, participants is significantly higher than for the rest of the participants. So option one, we wanted to present an option that keeps the budget where it is now and what that would look like. Um, as you can see by the bullets, it would require, since uh, the $4.8 million budget was set uh, early, uh, early on when the participation in the program was less, um, it was at about 8,500 participants. We're up to 9,100 participants now. And so in order to, if we wanted to maintain the budget where it is, we would actually have to slightly reduce the benefit and cap the participation at its current level. Option two would be to maintain the, the current benefits and the current participation level. Um, it would require a, a budget augmentation for FY23 um, of about 300000 between two and $300,000, and would also cap the participants at the current level of about 9100 Option three would be just to basically a current practices. Uh, the current structure um, requires or uh, gives a, a benefit to the uh, participants that basically they don't see the rate adjustments uh, and their uh, bill stays uh, where it is. If we wanted to continue that practice, 
um, we would need to augment the budget for FY23 by the two to three hundred thousand dollars, and then we'd need to augment the budget for FY24 up to about five point six million. Our last two options, uh, the last of which, option five, is the staff recommended option, um, changes the structure to a flat benefit uh, for our for the non-legacy and also a flat benefit or the current benefit for the legacy uh, participants. Option four would um, have the benefit be what it currently is at 37%. Um, it would require the $300,000 or two to $300,000 augmentation for FY23 and an augmentation up to about 5.2 million uh, for FY24. Um, option five is a similar option, except um, the benefit would be a 40% option, 40% benefit, which would reflect the um, inclusion of the solid waste uh, inc uh, rate increase that will take place uh, on July 1st. That would also require a two to $300,000 augmentation for FY23, and it would require an augmentation up to about 5.4 million for, a, uh, for FY24. Just a note that on all of these, these numbers assume that the participation stays essentially flat or where it is. Um, all of these numbers would need to be adjusted for um, options three, four, and five if the uh, participation increases. And in order so you can see what that kind of looks like or what it might look like, we have this table with the different options and the, and the budget. This would be, again, an FY24 budget. Um, and you see that if the participation goes up to 10,000 customers, that uh, we would need commensurate budget increases that show in that uh, uh, one column uh, up to 6.9, 6.3, and 6.5, respectively, for options three, four, and five. Our next steps are to come to council in January or February 23 for council approval of, uh, of, of one of these uh, alternatives. And uh, I'm open for questions. Thank you, Mr. Busey. Staff here. Do you mind going back to the uh, the uh, spreadsheet that shows the options and the impacts? Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Madam Clerk, do we have members of the uh, uh, public sign up to speak on this item? Uh, yes, I have one hand raised. It looks like Lambert Davis. Yes, uh, this is Lambert, and I'm I'm impressed with this. Uh, I like to give credit where credit is due. I'm very impressed with this program because I know a lot of people of different races, different cultures. They, it's been a lifeline to some people. I don't know what legacy means. That's almost like a, like a label or something. But uh, it has helped a lot of people. I personally would like to see the report and graphs so I – I'd like to see how much goes to staff salaries because I, I, I believe that it shouldn't go there. They're already on the payroll. 
and it should go to these people that need this. But this is a wonderful program if it's implemented without bias. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Vice Chair, I have no more speakers on this item. Thank you very much. Um, let me bring it back to the council here. Are there comments uh, from members of the committee? If not, let me let me just say, you know, Mr. Busev, thank you very much. Um, you know, obviously, I, a couple uh, uh, thoughts here before I make a recommendation um, is, uh, is, is thank you for taking into consideration the legacy um, uh, customers. Uh, we, we do know that there is a challenge um, with them if we're changing their benefits as they move on. There is a cost change, obviously, with, uh, with uh, each with decision here. Uh, and then uh, uh, understanding the need um, uh, that there are more people who could potentially benefit and who would need this assistance. Uh, but, a, but question here, do, do we have an average age of the legacy customers and what, what the demographic of, the, of that is? By chance, and then I'll go to Councilmember Jim. Is in the the age of the customers, or the or the time that they've been in the program? No, the age of the customers. I, I don't think we have age data. Um, we don't have age data. I don't think we do. Because I'm just I'm, I'm trying to gauge here. You know, you know what's the and how long do how long have leg do we see assume legacy customers are going to be in that category? I guess. So the legacy customers will continue to decrease over time, and they need to reapply every two years. And what we see is over time that they, that they drop out because their, you know, their salaries or their income goes up. Um, so I, we don't have any, uh, I guess we could probably show some trends about how that has decreased over time that it may give us an idea of how long, you know, some of those legacy customers would be in the program. Um, but. Yeah, I think, and that's my question: is how long the legacy customers will be in the program? If they're eight, if they're increasing their income and they're moving out, it's a positive thing. It means we, right. we're, we're all the other things that we're working on, on the workforce side is moving out of there. If there's a significant large number of seniors, then we need to know kind of okay, are they going to be with us for the next twenty years or thirty years, and then to bu budget that in. So I think. I think those are some um, some uh, points of information, not only for this, but for other assistance programs that would be helpful. Uh, Councilmember Jennings, and then I have Assistant City Manager uh, Milstein here. Councilmember Jennings. Thank you, Thank you Chair. Um, I think we were on the same page um, as far as uh, how many do we lose per year? Um, do we have data that shows how many move out of the legacy status in order for new members to be able to come in? So that's one thing we can develop is a trend over the past, you know, 10, 10 years even, about how many people, how many of those legacy um, participants, and that that might give us an indication of, of what that trend would be and and how long it would be before that goes down to a you know a, a minimal number. Yeah, I think yeah. We could bring that to council. I think that would be when, great when, when you come back to, to the council. I'm going to make the assumption that we're going to move this forward. But uh, to bring that information back, um, and then the percentage of the 9,100, the percentage of legacy versus current. And we have that now. I mean, of the 9,100, there's about 1,300 uh, that are legacy. You know, that's about 15% or so. Okay. And their, their benefit is over 50% right now. It's about, I think it's about 57%. Uh, and the current non-legacy benefit is, is, as you've seen, about 
Okay. And it's because that first rate adjustment back in 2012, 2013 is included uh, for those legacy customers. All right, you've answered my two questions. I appreciate that. And I, I just really feel when you come back in, to the council to be able to have uh, the data, okay. um, especially for our new members who will be hearing this for the first time, would be an opportunity for them to be able to see um, exactly what the status is so they can make an educated vote. Thank you. Uh, Assistant uh, uh, City Manager Milstein. Thank you. Um, I want to follow up a little bit on the data. I think one of the questions the um, chair just asked is, you know, what does 40% mean? So perhaps a translation into dollar value for a potential discount. And also, um, I'd like the department to think about beginning to collect when someone um, applies for this program, demographic data. I think that would be valuable for us to have about who's participating in our program. Um, we have some standardized um, um, data that you can reach out to um, our Office of Diversity Equity to get that um, information. And then um, I'd like us to consider modeling when we increase rates. What does a rate increase generate in the 11% general tax that comes to the general fund? And then um, represent as a net cost to the city, absent that value, because I think that um, rate increases by their own nature generate money that comes to the general fund and that should offset this program and then if there is a net cost that's what council would need to consider in addition to all of the other priorities that we've identified for funding so having that as part of the analysis will be really helpful and all I'll say about that is historically the 11% tax has fully funded uh, these, these, these subsidies and more um, so it's not there's not an extra cost to the to the general fund and the only nuance here is, is now that this is funded from Measure U and not technically from the general fund, uh, but still the same principle applies, that uh, the, the, the revenues would be more than made up for by the, by the rate adjustments. Well, I, I, um, uh, thank you, uh, Assistant City Manager and Director Busa. Um, I do, I am uh, encouraged by the staff recommendation here, but I, I do want, before we uh, make a motion or provide direction, because I'd like to give some direction and send a recommendation up to council here, but can you describe to me what uh, what, a, what the 40% impact means uh, to the, 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 uh, the actual customer? So, I'd be, I'd be shooting from the hip on this. 37% of, uh, I think the average bill is in the 170, 80, 90 range uh, per month. And so a third of that, a little more than a third of that would be, a, you know, in the 60, probably in the $60 range, 60 to $65 range for the average customer. Okay. So the 40% obviously is... Uh it's a little bit more, probably up to about $70, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and so I, why, while I, um, you know, obviously I'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to uh, expand everything much more, this option five allows us to expand the number of participants as well. Again, with, bud, with the commensurate budget increases. Um, the nice thing about the, the changing the structure is to a, you know, to a, a, 40, a flat 40% for the non-legacy and then the, the legacy where they are, I think, which is about 57, is, is that it's, it'll just be a lot easier to budget for, you know, uh, moving forward. 
Well, I appreciate that. Well, I, you know, members of the council, I'll ask for an action here, but I, I do think in the, in the overall scheme of our budget, this is a good balance. Uh, it is more in our uh, out, two out years, but it, in, the, in the scope of our budget, this is helping those who are at the, at the far edge of it. So if there's a council, uh, a committee uh, motion to uh, accept the staff recommendation um, and uh, move this to council, is there, I'd like to see an action here. I'll make that motion. Maybe second. second. I'll second. Okay, so there's a, there, uh, good work. Thank you, uh, Director Buseth. Uh, there's been a motion to accept staff recommendation, a moving recommendation number five to council. It's been properly moved and seconded. Uh, all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 All those opposed, seeing none, measure passes. We'll give this recommendation up to council. Thank you. Thanks. Madam Clerk, we'll move on to the next item. Item five is the Major U Community Advisory Committee fiscal year 2020-21 annual report. Good morning, Chair Guerra, council members. Um, this item will be presented by the Measure U Community Advisory Committee, so I will hand it off to them. <laughs> hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Kofer. Uh, I am here with Marge Dickinson, another member of the uh, Measure U Community Advisory Committee, and we are here to present our annual report for fiscal year 20 and 21, and so I will share my screen and get started. Okay. So again, good morning. Um, just as a reminder that this is for the second full year of Measure U revenue, uh, the annual report often takes some time to be able to uh, prepare because we have to wait for all of the revenues and expenditures to be completed. So there's a bit of a time lag. So we're gonna be talking about the year that began in 2020 and ended in 2021. So um, just for context, uh, not necessarily for the members of the budget and audit committee, but for those who may be listening, um, in November of 2012, voters approved the first temporary half cent sales tax, and that was going to expire in 2019. And so uh, then in November of 2018, the voters approved a permanent one cent sales tax. So doubling the revenue that would have been brought in by the previous one. And in that ballot measure, which was approved by 57% of the voters, um, the, the ballot measure language actually said that this was intended to enhance essential public safety services and other essential services, including homeless supportive services, affordable housing, libraries, park maintenance, high wage job promotion, and youth programming. Um, it, in addition to establishing the new Measure U, we also established a Measure U Community Advisory Committee, um, of which I have served as the chair for the last um, almost four years. Um, you can see the current and past members here. There are 15 um, committee members that uh, serve on this committee when it's at its full capacity. And I just want to really thank all of the members of the Measure U Community Advisory Committee, but especially the members of the ad hoc that worked to prepare this annual report, including Marge Dickinson, who is here with me today. And just wanting to highlight that we do have a number of our Measure U Community Advisory Committee members who started with us in the very beginning in April of 2019, who are currently cycling off um, and will no longer be serving. And so there's, a, there's opportunity for a new group of Measure U Community Advisory Committee members to um, join and to be able to pick up the baton where the previous members left off. And so again, just wanting to acknowledge uh, their service and recognize um, that they will be leaving. 
So uh, bringing us to um, our, our I, recommendations. So at the time- Dr. Colfer just wanted to check in. The slide's not moving, so- Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Wanted yes. to, okay. okay, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, members, <laughs> I will do this really quickly. Sorry about that. And we have several members that are, that are leaving us. I had highlighted them. Apologies for that. Thank you for letting me know we were not moving forward. So, um, so overall, we had some overarching goals um, when we were making our committee's recommendations. And as a reminder, that is one of the duties that we are given as a committee is to make recommendations to the council about how to spend the, the Measure U revenue. And so we had some overarching goals. Of course, this is, again, thinking back to um, the beginning uh, of the 2020 and 2021 year, we wanted to respond to COVID-19 because we saw that as a need. And we wanted to really focus on racial equity um, because that, is, that has been something that's been important to our committee and also especially important as we were facing a global pandemic and a lot of uncertainty at the time. This is before we had vaccines and while we were still, you know, every other week learning new things about the virus and its um, potential impact. And so we recommended to the council that they focus on three things. The first was inclusive economic development because of just the major changes that were happening after already meeting that prior to the pandemic, um, removing barriers for, to economic development and um, access to housing and services. And we really felt that communities needed the economic investment now more than ever just because of what was happening. And so because of that, we set five priorities for the year. Um, we said our priorities were public safety, were youth, were um, inclusive economic development, were access to housing and participatory budgeting. And so before we go into the first one, we, um, our priority for public safety, I think, requires some level of definition. Um, and this is actually the definition that was provided by Sacramento's youth um, as part of the redefining public safety resolution that was the first in the nation that was passed by the council in October of 2022. And it's having the freedom to live and thrive in a community environment that has the capacity and structure to protect and support their well being socially, physically, mentally, and economically. And so, what that looks like is emergency response and operations, in addition to evidence based pre prevention services that are offered both by the city as well as community partners. And so the outcome really is prevention, right? Keeping harm from happening, less violence, fewer arrests, a greater sense of security and connectedness within a community. And so this is what we were hoping that the, that the council was going to invest in. And so when we look at the preventive investments in public safety, um, the final budget included $43.5 million in Measure U funds to the police and $21.6 million for, for the fire department. And we actually recommended no new Measure U funds for the police because there were some... Um, some campaign promises that were made about the first half cent and the second half cent. And we recognize that those were not binding, um, but a lot of community members voted for Measure U under the impression that the second half cent was really gonna be spent on community development. And what we saw in the first full year after uh, Measure U was passed was that the police budget increased. And we were told that the things that were funded in the first one were gonna stay, but that there was not there was gonna be new, new money spent um, in a different way. And so because of that, the police had actually already been overfunded. And so we recommended that they not get money this time so that we could actually spend it on the things that the community um, was expecting. And that's also reinforced by the city auditors um, survey, which is done every year and showed that many community members wanted to see the funds spent on preventive um, public safety. 
And then we also were seeing that the fire department had also been overfunded based on a flat funding um, uh, a calculation that would have happened um, for the for the dollars that were already being spent. And so we were recommending a small decrease in there. They weren't quite as overfunded as the police had been. And we wanted those dollars to be spent in some other ways. And so we'll talk about those next. For youth programs, um, our second priority, we um, said that we saw that the final budget allocated $14.9 million in measure youth funds. And we actually recommended 14.7 for youth parks and community enrichment. So that actually um, is about $200,000 more that the council actually approved than what we had even recommended. So we were really excited to see that investment matching what we had recommended. For inclusive economic development, again, just wanting to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. And so when we are using inclusive economic development, we're talking about programs, initiatives, and investments to foster greater workforce participation of people um, in neighborhoods that have often been excluded, um, right? And when we're talking about that, we're talking about systemic racism, we're talking about systemic oppression, we're talking about groups in neighborhoods um, that have not had equitable and equal opportunities to be able to um, engage. In, and a lot of that has been done, you know, whether by past policies or practices by design. And so that's where the inclusivity comes in. And then the economic development, we really wanted to hone in on extending the number, size, and volume of existing local businesses, creating new livable wage jobs, emphasis on livable wage, because we know that the cost of housing is going up and we want to make sure that people can afford to live here, not that just that they're working, but that they actually are able to sustain their livelihoods and afford their housing in particular, and ensuring that local workers have have the necessary skills to obtain these jobs. So that we're not bringing in new jobs and then recruiting new people and having sort of a, the, the net impact to our community being at the same level of unemployment and the same level of people being unable to afford to live here. And so the outcome would be a return um, in, you know, it would actually result in a return on that investment to the city budget through tax revenue in the short to medium term. And so that's really what we were using as uh, the definition for inclusive economic development that we were recommending to the council. And so um, for this, we actually recommended uh, $37.1 million for um, economic development. And what we found was that um, there was 4.2 million for economic development um, but we weren't really sure. There's a question mark here because we weren't exactly um, sure. There, there seems to be a lot of money that was um, listed under this umbrella, but we weren't able to actually disentangle this and figure out where all of these dollars were going and how much of this actually met our, um, our definition of inclusive economic development. And then for access to housing um, and services. Again, we were also unsure exactly what amount was in the final budget. Um, uh, our formal report said, you know, we just simply don't have the data. Um, but we recommended increasing funding for homelessness by $8 million. At the time, we were trying to match uh, the mayor's uh, recommendation that each a city council district find some um, at least temporary shelter um, in their district and we wanted there to be at least some some money um, for each district to be able to do that and we also wanted to increase funding for affordable housing and so we were putting in 12 million dollars for that so a total of recommendation of 20 million dollars and then we also made a recommendation for participatory budgeting and again, defining terms, because sometimes this becomes different, it, participatory budgeting is a democratic process um, where community members decide how to spend a part of the budget. So they are the voting members who make decisions. Um, and this matters because, you know, when we think about equitable public policy decision, it should include the people who are currently being impacted 
um, and you know, by that policy or subject matter because they're the experts of their own lives um, and they really should be seen as partners. And so the outcome would be that we're shifting how decisions are made about the same pot of money. And so we made a recommendation during this year to allocate $15 million to implement the participatory budgeting process and projects um, and we want to note that no money was actually spent in fiscal year 2021 on participatory budgeting, but the, the subsequent year, the council did approve $1 million for the participatory budgeting process, um, as well as um, a little over $200,000 for um, implementation uh, funding. And that, um, that pilot is actually in the process of closing right now, and projects um, have been voted on by community members. And then we also wanted to lift up some of the challenges and constraints, right? Um, so the city did not have the capacity to provide data that allowed for a direct comparison of the committee recommendations to the final city budget allocations. And I just wanna lift this up to the budget and audit committee because this has been an ongoing challenge for the measure you committee for the last three and a half years of not having necessary data to be able to really make direct um, comparisons and even timely data to be able to influence the development of things like the mid-year budget um, and, and the budget um, for the subsequent year. Um, we also lifted up that we really need to be able to map the measure you investments by neighborhood. This will help us to be able to achieve some of our equity goals. We now, of course, this is um, now moving into the future, have a racial equity council for the city. Um, and there is a focus on um, really being able to do racial equity work. And we see the Measure U Community Advisory Committee as a potential partner for that if the data are available to be able to allow us to be able to participate in those efforts. So some of the synergy around what we're doing and how it fits into the larger uh, you know, conversation that's happening within the city would be really helpful to be able to enhance. So again, um, we wanted to just highlight that, you know, our overall observations and findings are that, you know, the, the spending for this year was, um, was audited and that was performed by an, an external auditing group, which is, uh, which is named here, Macias, Ginny, and O'Connell. Um, and the funds, the overall finding is that the funds collected and expended were in accordance with the ballot measure. The ballot measure is very broadly defined. And so we don't see any expenditures that are outside of the scope that has been defined. Um, we also were really pleased that there was a program oriented um, development review. And so um, this is a potentially useful tool for targeting investments. And so we really want to, um, to highlight that and, and hope that the city continues to move in that direction. Um, and unfortunately though, our committee recommendations were, were overall not adopted with the exception of, um, of the youth uh, funding for programs. Um, and so what we felt was that the spending didn't really, spending really did not match the needs identified in the measure for things like homelessness and housing and libraries and parks and jobs. Um, and to a certain extent, even youth, because we, when we are thinking about, you know, not spending on homelessness and housing and, and the libraries and parks and even the preventive public safety, we're not listening to the, the young people who said to us that this is really important to them. Um, and so, you know, especially the community support for redefining public safety. And so we, we wanted to lift that up as, you know, as a, a sort of misalignment that occurred there. And then lastly, um, because this work was prepared by an ad hoc committee, I just wanted to lift up something that I've shared with the council repeatedly and that, that um, many of the, the board's committees and commissions lifted up as well um, when this item came before the council, that per council ordinance, our current ad hocs expire on December 31st. And so Measure U actually um, really took some initiative and on September 20th, 
we submitted a request for the new subcommittees, which are allowed. Um, and we were informed by PMPE that they're unable to establish um, subcommittees by December 31st, but that has left us in sort of a policy purgatory where we currently don't have um, the option to be able to extend the function of our ad hocs. We have work that we are, um, we have been, you know, uh, assigned by ordinance that we need to complete and ad hocs are the most efficient way to do so. And the council doesn't have the ability to be able to set up the subcommittees. So we would um, just love to be able to have the budget and audit committee also take up um, some action to be able to ask the council to extend the ad hoc expiration date until a new system is in effect so that all of the work of your boards, committees, and commissions, including the Measure U committee and the ad hocs that perform its essential work are able to continue to function. And so with that, I thank you for your time and we're happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much, Dr. Kofer. Uh, Madam Clerk, do we have members of the public sign up to speak on this item? Uh, yes, Vice Chair, I have Lambert Davis. Mr. Davis. Yes, uh, first of all, I would like to thank Dr. Kofer because uh, as a person who attended many Measure U uh, meetings when Mayor Steinberg was promoting this, uh, your report confirms that it, that it actually wasn't implemented, not him, but whoever was supposed to implement it. When I hear that data was not available, that's how you interpret whether something is successful or it failed. So really, that's a practice of stonewalling. I mean, if you are in the practice of doing something, you must have data. You have data on employees' benefits and their salaries. You monitor that. Why not monitor the, the uh uh, taxpayers' money into what they need to go to. I mean, this is really, I'm glad this report came out because it convinces me that when I hear equity, inclusion, and diversity, it depends on who it goes to because the ad hoc committee has been hamstrung. Now they're in dilemma, and then there's still a race equity study out there that should have been completed this year. Now it's extended into next year. So it shows me as a person who looks at this as I don't really see it as being sincere. Because if it was, there would be data, there would be everything that you don't have. So great job of exposing that, Dr. Kofer. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Uh, let me bring it back to the council here. All this, and uh, first by saying thank you, Dr. Kofer, for your work in this, and, the, and those of the Measure U committee. Um, you know, I um, uh, obviously I agree with you on on the, the issue of the ad hocs, and the will of the council uh, went the other way. But uh, I have no problem uh, requesting uh, or asking the council to look at the continued work of, of the ad hoc, but that will be, a, again, at the will of the council to do that. But let me bring this over to Board Member Vang to uh, move this, uh, to see if we can get an action to move this to the council. Board Member Vang. Council Member Vang. I first, I just wanted to take this moment to thank Chair Kofer. Thank you so much for your thorough presentation. And, um, you know, just for those that are watching and listening, really providing the context and the history of Measure U and really the priorities of the commission. Um, and I also just want to thank um, all of our commissioners on the Measure U um, commission for all the work that you're doing um, for the city. Um, uh, Chair Kofer, I did have a quick question regarding just the Measure U committee. Um, 
could you pull up the uh, slide? I think it was towards the end of some of the, mm -hmm. some of the work. Um, I know I was, when we had this discussion at the full council regarding ad hocs, um, you had mentioned right now that um, the ad hoc, because it's ending the end of December, is not able to move forward um, with the work? Yes, that's correct. So um, in the ordinance that the council mm -hmm. passed in September, mm -hmm. um, they said that the current um, ad hocs would be allowed to continue functioning until December 31st. So at our very next meeting after that passed, we um, actually proposed, and I could actually share with you, um, we sent over to the PMPE committee a memo requesting the establishment of three subcommittees. Um, and, uh, and we sent over meeting schedules and the whole nine. And what we were told was that um, we received a correspondence back about four to six weeks later saying that they're not actually going to be able to do that. Um, by the 31st. Um, and so I, that leaves us kind of in, in the purgatory of you said that you, um, that we're not allowed to have ad hocs, but, and so we requested the subcommittees that you said we had to have. We sent over meeting schedules. We sent over what they were going to be and what they had historically um, served as. And then we're told that you're not in a place yet where you can set those up and staff them. So then we need you to extend the sub or the ad hoc um, function until you have a system in place. Otherwise, we can't have ad hocs and we can't have subcommittees. So our, our boards, committees, and commissions are really going to be unable to function. Uh, thank you, Dr. Kofer. Can I ask maybe Mindy, um, just because I want to make sure that the work is not stalled, uh, given how council have voted, and I know that um, the proposal for subcommittees is possible. I wanted to know what the status is because I don't want the work to um, halt. And I think the work that they've been doing is incredibly important. And so I don't know if there's been a response back since then because it sounds like you won't be able to establish the subcommittees by the end of this year and wanted to know what the audit what the alternatives are so that our Measure U committee uh, members really know what the next steps is so that they, they can continue the work. Thank you, Councilmember Vang. What, what I, maybe what I could request, uh, because we, we are uh, tied down by the number of meetings we have before the year, is that if we could have uh, Dr. Kofer work with uh, uh, either our offices uh, combined to find a stopgap uh, so they can continue the work as the year begins uh, in the interim, if that could be part of the direction in, in moving this item forward. And we'll work with uh, the clerk to find out what logistically possible we can do. Okay, thank you. I Yeah, we can add that direction to the motion um, moving this item forward. It's been properly moved. Is there a second? I'll second that motion. Very much. Thank you. It's been moved and second. Uh, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All those opposed? Measure passes. I do want to thank the Measure U Committee. Again, we, uh, we're in a bit of a transition. Uh, next week, we'll have a new body of members in the evening, an old body or a current body in the, in the morning and in the afternoon. Uh, and so uh, we'll uh, definitely thank the clerk for uh, helping us figure out a logistical way to make sure that we continue this work forward. And uh, Dr. Hofer, I think both uh, Councilmember Vang's office and I will uh, try to coordinate with you on how to make sure that we continue the good work. Madam Clerk, we'll move on to the next item. Item six is the Department of Utilities designated reserve fund policy. Good morning, Chair, uh, Vice Chair Guerra, and Budget and Audit Committee members. Uh, my name is Ryan Pham. I'm your division, uh, Business Services Division Manager, and I'm here to share with you some of, of information about Department of Utility reserve fund policy. 
Today, I will be covering the following background, the uh, reserve policy benefits use and target, as well as the next step. Way of background, DOU identified the need for a long-range financial plan. In the effort to have an independent review and recommendation from an industry expert, DOU partnered with the city treasurer office to hire Philman, Rolab, and Associate, who is the city primary financial advisor to prepare a long-range financial plan with the following scope. Create a designated reserve policy, review DOU rate model software system, and make final recommendation, develop a DOU asset management plan. In relation to the reserve policy, DOU currently has reserve guidelines for 120 days of working capital and the rate stabilization funds based on bond covenants. So this policy would formalize the two guidelines adding to the capital reserve policy. DOU has uh, received feedback from the Department of Finance and their support of this policy. DOU, DOU had originally planned to take this policy to the Water Committee. However, the chair of the Water Committee recommend that this policy brought to the Budget and Audit Committee. More on the technical aspect, the Government Finance Officers Association recommends utilizing reserve funds to provide sources of funding for situation external forces interrupt a well thought out plan for efficiently operating a public utility. The reserve fund policy includes the following designated reserve. Operating reserve is established a prudent, prudent level of source of funding when expense are greater than budgeted or when revenue for below expectation. Rate stabilization reserves are required in accordance to the debt covenant, can be used to strengthen debt services coverage in years when results are weaker than expected, or as a tool to smooth out the rate increase. Capital reserves provide the ability to fund future projects from available cash flow, allow DOU to fund projects that not funded through the debt proceed and give DOU the flexibility to fund PAYGO project as determined through sound operational, operational engineer and financial planning. Capital reserve can be used for rehab and replacement project as a source to provide immediate funding for projects that need to be accelerated or experience cost overrun. Finally, is available to address any unplanned emergency project. As you can see, this table showed the reserve target recommended by the Fuman team. For the operating reserve, we recommend the minimum level being in alignment with DOU existing reserve practice of 120 days of working capital. DOU intends to continue to achieve 120 day of working capital minimum level to maintain investment grade credit ratings 
of the enterprise system. For the rate stabilization reserve, DOU intends to keep the target consistent with existing DOU practice of 25% of the maximum debt services, debt service for each of the respective system. A minimum reserve of the, a minimum level of the capital reserve is set in the amount necessary to fund major capital and or replacement expenditure emergency over the first fiscal year with a target covering the next five years. Next step, DOU seek a recommendation from the Budget and Audit Committee to the City Council for approval of the policy based on the following. Fillman team recommends that the policy be approved by City Council. The policy will bolster the credibility decision-making of the city for the benefit of in ex internal and external stakeholder. And furthermore, having a policy approved by city council will affirm a strong management and financial leadership of the city. Upon approval of the policy by the city council, DOU will brief the utility raised assistant advisory commission at the next meeting. This concludes my prepared remarks and the city staff and our consultant are available for any question that you may have. Thank Dr. you. Fan, uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Fan, uh, for your work there. Uh, Madam Clerk, If you are there members of the public signed up to speak on this item? Uh, Vice Chair, I have no hands raised to speak on this item. Thank you very much, Madam Clerk. Let me bring this back to the uh, uh, Council for an Action. We'd like to move this forward. I'd like to say that this is a prudent way of us making sure that we maintain a healthy reserve policy. We've been moving in that direction. Uh, just out of curiosity, have we ever fallen below the 120-day reserve? Vice Chair, we have not. Okay, thank you. So it is, a, so if anything, it's memorializing our good, healthy practice, which uh, also, once we have the policy in place, as you mentioned, helps us with our credit rating. Uh, you know, when we go later on, whenever we need to improve our capital outlay or infrastructure improvements, we've got a good credit rating. So thank you very much. Let me ask uh, members of the committee if they have questions, comments, or an action to move this item to council. I uh, just want to take this moment to say thank you to Ryan just for your heart and your hustle um, and really thorough presentation. Um, and I will actually make a motion to move this item to the full council for consideration. Thank you very much. Is there a second? There is a second. And thank you again for the presentation and for a great policy. It's been properly moved and second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All those opposed? Measure passes. Thank you very much. Great presentation. Madam Clerk, we'll move on to our uh, next item. Item number seven is the language access policy gap analysis, survey results, and recommendations. Auditor Oseguera, welcome back. Good afternoon, members of the Budget and Audit Committee, Jorge Segueda, City Auditor. The recommendation that is before you is that you review the language access audit report and forward to the full City Council for final approval. Both the City Auditor's Office and the City Manager's Office had been tasked by the City Council with evaluating the City's language access services. For the sake of efficiency and to not duplicate efforts, the City Auditor's Office partnered with the City Manager's Office and a third-party 
language um, services provider, NIMSI, insights to review language access best practices, compare it to the city's current uh, practices, survey city employees and the community members, and provide recommendations for improvement. NIMSI Insight is a market research and international consulting company that works with language service providers, uh, enterprises, and government agencies. So what do best practices and guidance recommend when it comes to language access services? While the city of Sacramento may not be required to adhere to much of the guidance referenced in this report, this guidance can be leveraged to assist the city in developing a language access policy and to ensure robust language access services are available to the community. Federal guidance states that recipients of federal funding have a responsibility to ensure meaningful access to their programs and activities by persons with limited English proficiency. The guidance recommends conducting a four-factor analysis when determining the extent to which to provide language access services which includes the number of LEP uh, persons eligible to be served by the program, the frequency and type of LEP encounters, the relative importance and nature of the benefit or services that the program offers, and the resources available for the program in relation to the cost of providing the language services. The federal guidance also provides a self-assessment tool for language access planning, uh, which includes understanding how LEP individuals interact with uh, your agency, identifying and assessing community training, uh, communities, training staff, and providing notice of language assistance services. There is also a state of California guidance which requires state agencies that serve a substantial number of non-English speaking individuals to provide translated materials or bilingual uh, employees in order to facilitate meaningful access to written materials, services, and benefits. The act sets a threshold at which state agencies are required to provide language access services to any language group who, whose non-English speakers comprise 5% or more of the people served by the office or facility of a state agency. Written materials should be distributed when it requires uh, the individual to provide information or when it may affect the individual's rights, duties, or privileges with regards to uh, that agency's services or benefits. We also researched other California cities to see what they included in their language access policies. We identified a number of California cities and counties that had adopted language access policies. We focused on the six listed in this table and conducted more detailed reviews of their policies. Uh, half of the city's policies identified the non-English languages that should be available and a threshold for determining which languages to provide services. Sorry for the auto advance. I'm not sure why Power, uh, Adobe is doing that. Uh, we also reviewed the various, Mindy, could we go out of the um, presentation to just showing the, the slide as a power uh, PDF? Yeah, like that, that way it won't advance. Getting a little too fancy there. Huh? I, you know, <laughs> this is what happens when you lose your assistant city auditor. She created the PowerPoint and I inherited it. I think that should work. 
I think I think that should do it. All right, there we go. We also reviewed the various language services uh, the city currently has in place. The city offers telephone uh, interpretation services using language link. This service is mostly used by the city's 311 and 911 call center agents. For example, a review of the city's 911 call center found that language link was used for 5,143 calls between January and August of 2021. Uh, the city currently has a contract not to exceed $99,000 for this service. The city also contracts with another service, Interlingva, uh, for on-site interpretation and translation services for meetings, live public events, or TV broadcasts. The city also has a 99,000 not to exceed contract uh, for this service. The city also offers American Sign Language uh, interpretation services using NorCal services for the deaf and hard of hearing. The city has a $99,000 contract for this service. The city also offers bilingual incentive pay to city employees who provide interpretation translation services. During our review, we found the city provides the incentive to 126 city employees at an estimated annual cost of $200,000. Most of the employees receive bilingual pay for speaking Spanish. NIMSI Insight conducted a language access survey of community members. The survey was translated into Spanish, Chinese, Vietnamese, and Hmong. Most of the respondents took the survey in English, while 21 took it in Spanish, one in Vietnamese, and one in simplified Chinese. One of the questions that was asked in the survey was whether the respondent was aware that the city of Sacramento offered free translation and interpretation services. Nearly 56% of those that took the survey in English and 33% of those that took it in Spanish were not aware. Language access guidance for federal and state agencies suggests that the first step in drafting a language policy is to identify the total population and language spoken by individuals that have limited English proficiency. According to the US Census data, uh, LEP individuals comprise 13% of the total population in the city of Sacramento, or approximately 64,000 individuals. The US Census data also provides a breakdown of the languages spoken at home by the city's LEP population. This figure shows the language spoken, the percentage of the city's total population, and the number of individuals this represents. As shown in this table, Spanish is the most common non-English language spoken at home for Sacramento residents. We made three recommendations related to establishing and maintaining robust language access capabilities for Spanish-speaking LEP residents, evaluating whether specific departments, programs serve, uh, serve other LEP individuals, and regularly evaluating the number and proportion of LEP individuals to assess the sufficiency of the city's language access services. In factor two, federal guidance states that an agency should also assess the frequency with which they have or should have contact with LEP individuals from different language groups seeking assistance. We surveyed city employees to estimate how often they interact with LEP individuals on a monthly basis. 
Survey results indicate that city departments vary considerably in the volume of LEP interactions they handle per month, ranging from less than 10 to over 200. For example, 100% of the 311 call center employees who responded to the survey stated that they encounter more than 200 LEP individuals per month. 20% of police department and 20% of fire department employees that responded to the survey stated that they come in contact with LEP individuals more than 200 times per month. We made three, rec three additional recommendations related to the frequency and the type of LEP encounters, including providing guidance on whether programs should perform additional outreach to LEP persons, providing guidance on whether programs that interact frequently with LEP individuals should provide meaningful language access services at a broader scale than other departments or programs, and evaluating whether funding for language services is sufficient based on the volume of LEP individuals that interact with the city departments and programs. We conducted a survey of LEP community members and the survey results indicate that the city may not be providing interpreters when one would have been preferred. While not every situation requires an interpreter, several individual responses raise concerns that interpreters are not being provided in cases where rights, benefits, health, and safety are involved, specifically those where the police department or 911 did not provide interpreters. Our survey of city employees found that roughly 40% of respondents across departments indicate that English proficiency uh, children or adult family members act as interpreters. Federal guidance state that agencies should avoid using children, family, or friends as interpreters because it is difficult to ensure that they interpret accurately. Federal guidance states that when a particular language is encountered often, hiring bilingual staff is one of the best options. Our survey of city employees found that many employees turn to bilingual staff as their first resource for interpreter services. Bilingual staff can also be used for translation services, but professional translators should be used for vital or lengthy documents. We made four recommendations related to training staff on language access procedures, providing guidance on how to respond in situations when a minor or family member is asked to serve as an interpreter, providing direction on how and when bilingual staff are used, and other resources that can be leveraged by the city in ensuring the city's websites are accessible. The third section um, uh, is related to relative importance and nature of the benefits or services that the programs offer. Our survey of LEP community members also indicate that LEP individuals are not always provided with translation in situations when vital information is likely to be conveyed. As Spanish is the most prevalent non-English language spoken by LEP individuals in Sacramento, we recommend translating all vital documents into Spanish and making them available at the same time as the equivalent English language documents. For all other LEP languages, including those that are encountered on a very infrequent basis, we make vital documents, we recommend vital documents be handled in one of the following two ways. Make translations available upon request and provide vital documents to interpreters who can explain the context of the written documents to the LEP individual and assist in filing and filling out any documentation that requires an LEP individual to provide information. 
Proactive, proactively informing the public about the availability of language access services will help to foster engagement. Our survey found that the city could be more proactive in informing the public about the availability of language access services and or city employees um, and to uh, make city employees uh, aware of the steps that can be taken to communicate with LEP individuals about their programs and services. Other means of proactively notifying LEP and deaf individuals of the availability of language services should also be considered. One example of how to overcome hesitancy about requesting language access services is to use uh, an iSpeak language ID card. King County, Washington has developed an iSpeak toolkit. The toolkit includes an iSpeak card for consumers uh, and customers to bring with them when seeking care, which identifies the language they speak and a know your rights text to inform both uh, consumers and providers regarding the use of interpretive services. We also found that the city's website does not have a complaint form that LEP individuals can file if the city's language services uh, they were provided were not of good quality. This would provide the city with an opportunity to adjust to any shortcomings in the city's language access services. We made four recommendations related to developing guidance for city departments to identify their vital documents that should be translated, training employees on how to determine if an individual is LEP and when to offer language assistance services, employee addition, employing additional means to proactively notify LEP individuals of the availability of language services, and developing a mechanism that allows LEP individuals to file a complaint about the city's language access services. The last section um, deals with uh, the resources available for, um, for the program in relation to the cost of providing language access services. Agencies should consider the most cost-effective means of delivering competent and accurate language access uh, services and determining the resources available to assist persons with uh, LEP. Programs should carefully explore the most cost-effective means of delivering competent and accurate language services before limiting services due to resource concerns. Our final two recommendations include considering providing ongoing funding for citywide language access marketing so that community members are aware of the language access services provided by the city and considering appointing a citywide LEP coordinator or a working group to regularly monitor and update the agency's response to LEP needs. A response by the city manager's office is included in the report and responds to all 16 recommendations. Many of the recommendations will be addressed in the development of a language access policy, which the city manager's office is working on. I'd like to thank the city manager's office and the city attorney's office for working closely with us on this project. This concludes my presentation and I'm available to answer any questions should you have any. Thank you very much, City Auditor Oseguera, for uh, that presentation and for the work in that. Thank you for your staff for uh, taking on uh, the community engagement aspect and the survey of it. Um, uh, uh, Madam uh, City Clerk, do we have members of the public signed up to speak on this item? Yes, I have two speakers. Our first is Carolina Flores and then Lambert Davis online.
Buenas tardes. Buenos días todavía. No, ya buenas tardes. Muchas gracias. <risa> Mañana cumplo los 75 años. Felicidades, señora Flores. Gracias, gracias. This will be a bilingual message I'll interpret for myself. The LLC a study, the survey, collected 141 respondents and 21 were Spanish-speaking. I don't see how you can base the whole citywide services uh, assessment, evaluation, effectiveness, and I want to see measurable outcomes met. I would also like to see, since we had the Latino Stakeholders uh, Task Force that I was part of, what has been the increase in the services from the recommendations that were given to increase language services, to make translators, interpreters, permanent civil service employees, which will reflect the city council's commitment to making sure that language services is offered. This bilingual pay is not a commitment. You give bilingual, you need a full staff that is gonna do the outreach, the Spanish speaking, the writing of materials be done immediately. How long is it gonna have to wait for the city manager to come up and implement this? I don't wanna hear about how everybody is for equity. I wanna hear how you're gonna do it now. Así se los dejo. Uh, the councilman, um, there, was a, there should be an ironclad permanent budget in order to make sure that there is an assurances of equity. Uh, I don't wanna hear how you're all for equity, sorry. I'm 75 years old, I'm tired of that. Give me action, give me moves. Show me how you're gonna get this done. Um, also, the permanent civil services uh, it's going to be helpful, but I would like to know how you're going to offer services for the Spanish-speaking disabled, seniors, the hard of hearing, the undocumented, the homeless, and children, the youth services. They all have different priorities. They all have different needs. You can't lump them together and say, oh, we're offering them Spanish-speaking Thank you for services. your comments. Your time is complete. Yes, I can vote. Yes, I can vote. Sí, pero... Claramente vamos a trabajar contigo y el comité de, este, de comunidades bilingües para agarrar el, lo, exactamente lo que está diciendo. Entonces, ahorita ya terminó mi, mi sí. testimonio. Sí, Muchísimas gracias. De nada y felicidades a los 75 gracias. años. Gracias. El año de diamante, ¿verdad? El 11 de diciembre, no se le olvide. <laughs> gracias. Time, I'm in your area. And thank you so much for your wonderful work. Thank you for your comments. Eric, I consider him a personal relative. Okay. <laughs> Our next speaker is Lambert Davis. Thank you. What? I said thank you. Mr. Davis? Yes. As a person who actually learned how to read, write, and speak Spanish at Grant High School, that was some of the things you had to do at Grant High School, is you had to learn another language. I think the other one, I know the other one was French. Shout out to Mr. Gutierrez. He taught us how to read, write, and speak Spanish, and this was in the 70s. So when I hear uh, a partnership between an auditor, audit department and the city manager's office, it brings me to suspicion because I'm the one who brought up the question, who audits the auditor? I'm the one that brought that up. And then I hear the city attorneys involved. So to me, uh, it should be, as I listen to the efforts for people to uh, be assisted in their language, uh, you're talking to a black person who actually learned how to 
and it was part of us graduating from Grand High School. You had to learn another language. So my my suggestion is to uh, study this partnership because it has a lot of uh, resemblance to a quota system, which I'm fighting against down there. It's it's amazing when you learn another language and you're from another culture. That that that's a very exhilarating feeling. I can read, write, and speak Spanish to some of your amazement. Thank you. Madam Clerk? Vice Chair, I have no more speakers on this item. Muchas gracias, Mr. Davis, for those comments, por ese comentario. Uh, let me pass this over to Councilmember Vang. Thank you. Um, first, I just wanted to thank Jorge. Thank you so much to you and your staff uh, for, for doing this audit. I know last year I requested uh, this thorough audit really just to look at the city's existing language services um, and ensure that, you know, moving forward based on the recommendation, based on what we find, that we're able to uh, develop an equity-focused language access policy. And so I uh, really just want to say thank you for making this uh, a priority in the work um, uh, from the auditor's office. Um, I do want to share, you know, how this all came about is, you know, in my first few months as a council member, I recognized just how quickly we had gaps in our system uh, in terms of language services. And I'll, I'll share a story. I remember in the first few months that I was sworn in and as a councilwoman, I had staff that reached out to me directly asking me to uh, translate flyers in Hmong, right? And while I don't mind doing that um, as, you know, just basically because I want to make sure we get information out, for me, it was um, really troubling that uh, our city staff didn't know about the resources that perhaps were available to them. Um, and then as, you know, as I'm, I'm serving the city, I just recognize quickly from my staff um, and from other city staff that shared with me that, you know, perhaps we need a language access policy here in, this, in the city of Sacramento. And so really, uh, Jorge, just want to thank you and your staff for doing this work. Um, I think, you know, many of us know that there are so many folks in our city right now um, where English is not their primary language, right? We've seen how uh, a community, especially during the pandemic, were uh, unable to access programs and services by local governments. Um, and, and, and even here uh, in our city, um, really appreciate the 16 recommendation that the auditor um, have put, for, for, put forward so that we can really uh, begin to address our shortcomings. Um, and I just wanted to just, you know, uh, speak on, you know, after reading the report, I want to commend um, the, the report in terms of the internal review. I think we had really good respondents from staff uh, that were very honest about the challenges and gaps in our system. And you see that reflected in the recommendation of how we should improve our system. Um, I do have concern about the public facing survey. Um, I think, you know, we did our best as council members, as city to reach out to the community uh, to have them fill out the survey, uh, but we still had a low response. And I think it's important for us to own that and acknowledge that. Um, and that moving forward, not just for this audit or um, just for the purpose of, of this audit alone, we need to start thinking differently about how we do outreach because I think many of our communities, one, are surveyed out. Two, um, survey, you know, there's there's also issues with survey, right? Even if you translate a survey into Hmong, you know, there are members in our community that don't read Hmong, right? And so thinking more innovative in terms of gathering data, not just through survey, I think would be helpful for future audits, for future work that we're doing as a city. So I just really wanted to share that. Um, but, uh, but 
Of those that were audited, I do want to point out that 55% were not aware of our language access. So even though we didn't have a big response, half, more than half said that they weren't even aware, right? And I anticipate that the percentage would probably be higher even if we were able to survey more residents. And so really appreciate recommendation 15 in terms of us being intentional about the delivery of marketing and ensuring that we are sharing with residents what, what we're currently doing, what we're doing well, right, to celebrate that, but to acknowledge our, our shortcomings. Um, I think a big part of the reason why this audit is before us today is also because the city of Sacramento actually does not have a language access policy. There are other cities um, throughout California that does, whether that's ensuring we have thresholds for languages, pro internal protocols of what to do. And so um, this audit is really just the first step so that we can develop that internal policy. And I know that Amy um, and, and uh, city manager Howard is committed to that. And so really just wanted to name that. But I do wanna share that, um, you know, while we're working on an internal policy, it's gonna be very important for this council to also set the foundation um, and, and direction on where we want to go because um, our city managers comes and go, city council comes and go. And it's so important that we have something um, citywide, uh, a commitment from this council that this is a priority that we care about. Um, and so in addition to the internal policy that I know the city manager will be working on, um, I also have a, a direction um, based on this audit and one is you know having a citywide ordinance to implement an internal policy right i don't think those things are separate i think it's about working together so we can set that foundation um, i know that we have to move this item to the full council i do want to ensure that this item comes to the full council so our new council members can also see the audit and per perhaps also provide um, additional recommendation and direction uh, but i'd like to make a motion to move this item to the full council for consideration and that's the first piece but with the direction that we direct the city attorney's office, the city auditor's office, and even the, and the city manager, because it's a team effort, to develop a council-led uh, language access policy uh, or framework, um, that's gonna be really key, right? So we got the internal policy that's gonna happen. I think city manager is committed to that, but as a council, we have to set the direction. And I think it's incredibly important that we have a citywide ordinance really setting the stage of our commitment to this work. And so that is my recommendation uh, to move this item forward, but to ensure that we're working with the uh, city attorney's office, city auditor, city manager's office to develop a council-led uh, ordinance to uh, really uh, set the work forward. That's going to be really critical. And so um, that's my motion on the table. Thank you very much, uh, Board Member Vang. Uh, is there a second to that? There, there is definitely a second. I, I couldn't be more proud of my fellow council member for being a champion in this effort, you know, from the very beginning and continuing to champion this effort. And I would be pleased to second it and move it to the council uh, with the additions to your ordinance. I just wanted to clarify um, uh, with your uh, additional direction, is that for those three charter offices to work with your office in putting together that council perspective or uh, yeah, I think they would be working with Councilmember Guerra in my office because okay. we also have a community group, a language equity access work group that um, is absolutely dedicated to this work to make sure that it gets implemented. So absolutely, I think working with our offices would be great. Thank you. Thank you. And, Thank you. Um, you know, uh, one thing that I would like to uh, just, uh, just to um, uh, thank is the city um, manager's response uh, and acknowledge that uh, the city manager uh, and his team did recognize that 
uh, they would be working on a, on a citywide policy and an internal policy. And I think the policy is important, but what, uh, what I hear Councilmember Vang asking here is to start developing the framework to an ordinance. Mm -hmm. And obviously the ordinances aren't detailed, but it does give and set the tone and the direction. And from my own personal experience, um, you know, even when our uh, past uh, clerk was here, uh, um, you know, City Clerk Concolino, we started on this process of trying to translate um, and provide additional services, both in 311, and now we've gotten to, I think, 17 different languages through uh, 311 and, and, and used the contractor service. So we've evolved, but it's still very piecemeal. And so what, uh, what, I, what I see board member, Council Member Vang here, um, you know, uh, indicating is that we have to change the philosophy of how we look at language access and having that framework of a, the, uh, brought to back with this uh, audit uh, will help us uh, in the, big, the development of an ordinance. And obviously we have the ordinance process to go through mm -hmm. uh, uh, to make sure that uh, we take that step. But I think this is important because having grown up with, uh, with an LEP family or limited English family, we always joke that by the time you're 15, you're, you know, you're a healthcare worker, you're an insurance agent, and a paralegal all at once. And that's because you're translating things. And as you noticed on the federal guidelines, having a family member or a, a friend or someone translate for you is not an acceptable uh, way of translation. And a lot of um, important things get lost. Um, not only that could be life-threatening. And I, you know, we were just discussing how you know, the services that uh, the city has provided and from what we do have, have been, have addressed life-threatening issues. So this isn't about just accessing some of the resources and rebates and, uh, you know, contacting your council member. A lot of these issues are significant to the health and safety of, uh, of the people who live in our city. So I want to thank you, council member, uh, for that and, uh, uh, and for our city's continued work. I think this moves us in, in, the, in the step forward. And I think the city auditor in their recommendation have said a number of, of pieces uh, that could go into a policy uh, and part of a framework. So uh, with that, um, and if there's no, no further comments, I do want to ask for Madam Clerk, if uh, all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 All those opposed? Seeing none. Measure passes. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we'll see you. Yes, thank you, Carolina. I think I uh, appreciate your work, too. I do want to recognize your work over the years um, to helping uh, address many of these issues and for your consistent engagement. And happy 75th birthday. You know. Thank you. Feliz cumpleaños. Uh, Madam Clerk. Your next item is committee comments, ideas, questions, and meeting reports. Any comments, questions, or committee reports from the dais? Seeing none. Madam Clerk. Oh, just to oh, wait, just we have one here. Sorry. just to request, just a gentle reminder. Um, last budget and audit, um, I did make a request and just wanted to make sure that it's in the in the books or the log on the budget and audit. But requesting that um, staff work to um, bring back a, a proposal, potential a proposal for a youth department. I know that um, this item passed through law and ledge, but I also wanted to come to budget and audit so that we can have that conversation before it actually gets to the full council for consideration. So just wanted to gently remind staff on that. And then the second piece is, wanted to make a request, perhaps this is for Jorge, but maybe when it's the next round scope of work, but there's been a lot of concern about the Front Street Animal Shelter um, and wanted to make sure that um, I add my request that we add that to the scope of work uh, uh, for our auditors um, because many community members and I believe even at previous council me uh, meetings um, 
there was a request for a budget and audit to take up this item, and so wanted to also make sure that I, I note that on record if we can add that to the scope of work uh, and interest for this budget and audit, audit committee. Thank you very much, Councilmember Vang, and, uh, and and same here, Council uh, 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 Auditor Rosaguera, that uh, you know I think we've discussed the the Front Street Shelter audit and. We'll have to prioritize that with every other audit we have to do. I think that's important for us to look at it when we review the uh, the scope of work plan for 2023. Um, with that, uh, Madam Clerk, do we have any item, uh, any comments on from the public? Uh, Vice Chair, this is a special meeting, so we don't have the opportunity for matters not on the agenda. Thank you very much, and I appreciate all the staff for uh, you know um, uh, rescheduling this meeting and making sure we can get this work done before the end of the year. With that, we're adjourned at 12.37 p.m. We'll see each other shortly. We're adjourned.